Our Bible passage today is from Mark 10, verses 42 to 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, thank you for that scripture. Um, throughout my time here in New York, uh, Pastor Taylor Field has always been a kind of a mentor. Uh, he's been uh, serving at uh, Graffiti Church and Community Ministries for over 30 years, and he recently retired as a awesome Zoom kind of uh, retirement party uh, in uh, end of last year. Um, and now uh, he's serving uh, as a Send Relief missionary. He's helping to start Compassion Ministries in all of the Northeast. So our church has benefited. I personally have benefited from learning how to do flip and community day and just kind of having that mindset. Uh, their church motto is a uh, church that serves. And I think they really, starting with Pastor Taylor, really embody that. Um, his wife, Susan, has been um, a very, uh, very gracious especially in the, in the student ministries as well, her kind of pioneering work at Columbia and NYU. So welcome to uh, both of them. Um, I think more recently, the past uh, five, six years, we've also uh, gotten to know each other more as friends. And uh, we've been doing a monthly prayer meeting and a book discussion. So uh, I'm not sure I would have read John Wesley, Reinhold Niebuhr, um, and uh, even Evelyn Underhill without Pastor Taylor's guidance. So as he comes, he's uh, joining us remotely today, uh, but let us really experience God through his message, Pastor Taylor. Thanks so much, Pastor Daniel. And on this Sunday after Easter, um, we wanna talk today about um, what do you value? And um, as we think about this, um, I just want us to think for a second about um, what it means when we value things. And I want to say one of the things today that I value is the relationship between Compass Fellowship and the Graffiti Network. It's really been an awesome thing. And so I value that. And we don't say thank you enough to you for what you've done. And I'm not talking not only with investing in programs and children's programs and toy sales and, and hosting uh, vision dinners and all these kind of things. Um, that's, that's part of it. But it's also the personal things. And I've been remembering this morning, um, we do free lunch in the park. And many of you have come and helped with that. We hand out a sandwich to someone. It's not theoretical or political. It's just giving someone a sandwich. And, and uh, I remember a year ago when there was so much uncertainty in New York City and what to do. And we have the partnerships with the churches that come and help with that. And many of the churches canceled, but Compass Fellowship went ahead and came during that time. And it was such a morale lifter for the people, some that are homeless or in transition at that time. It just was such a great thing. So I value that. And some of you at Compass Fellowship may not know that uh, Pastor Kareem uh, brainstormed with Compass Fellowship. And we have the free lunch in the park called Flip, but we decided to do Flip Plus, 
which where you add other things to it and other community service things and so forth. And uh, Compass Fellowship was the first one to ever do that, but that became a template for us to do many things. So praise God for that. And it's the little things too that I remember. Um, and I remember years ago when some people from Compass Fellowship came and uh, were providing the meal at Flip and uh, prepared it. But uh, we had um, gospel messages in English and Spanish, but many of the people that were coming were Chinese and we didn't have anything in Chinese. And so quietly the next time Compass Fellowship came, they brought some material that shared the good news in Chinese and gave it to us and left it for us, not only for that time, but for the times after. And it just, um, I just really appreciate the decency and the goodness of the people in your church that have encouraged us in so many ways. Uh, this morning, I was thinking too about, um, oh, I guess it's a little over a year and a half ago, we got a bunch of backpacks and some money to buy school supplies. And so we decided to help students that were starting school then who didn't have that, and we needed some people to pack it. And so who did I turn to? Compass Fellowship. And people showed up on Saturday. We packed that thing in record time. But I just thought then, you know, there's a lot of other things you could do on a Saturday than do that to help some students who didn't have school supplies. So God bless you for that. As Pastor Daniel said, um, I'm now serving as a Send Relief missionary, working not only in New York City, but helping to start graffiti-style ministries in other cities also. And some people sometimes ask me, what is missions? And for me, this is what I say. Missions is reaching out beyond your own self-interest. And you have done that, and I value that. Now, that relates directly uh, to what we want to talk about today, because I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have noticed that um, uh, this has been a time of discouragement for some people, and it's been a discouraging year. And I was thinking today about an intense time of discouragement for myself. It was in the beginning days of graffiti. We weren't yet in the building. We were in a storefront. And we'd had a meal and uh, lots of people came to the meal and there were shifts for the meal, but uh, not that many people stayed for the Bible study. And then everyone went home and I looked around and there's food all over the floor. So I had to sweep the floor, mop the floor. And as I remembered, I was working on the restroom at the time. And, you know, the Bible says there's many voices in the world. And, uh, and there's, there's a lot of voices that barrage us. So I'm not talking about an audible voice, but um, an, an inner thought. This is what it sounded like. No one stayed to help you. You did all this for them. No one stuck around. They're all resting while you're still working here. It's not fair. And then the voice went on. And said, you know, uh, you got so you have so much education, and what are you doing? Here you are, cleaning a toilet. You're such an idiot. And then the voice went on and said, you know, all your siblings are doing really well now. Your father is disappointed in you. Um, you're not providing for your family well enough. Why don't you just quit? And the pressure came on more and more, and I thought about it. But you know, I'm so glad I didn't quit then. There's so many things I wouldn't have seen, the transformation in people's lives, 
the change in our neighborhood, seeing other churches that we got the privilege of being a part of to start, and the special kind of relationships with churches like Compass Fellowship. I mean, if I'd quit, I wouldn't be here today having the privilege of worshiping with you right now. I'm so glad I didn't quit. And I've noticed something about discouragement. Discouragement has a number of cousins. And one of the cousins is exhaustion. I remember one lady came to our church. I said, how are you doing? She said, oh. She said, I keep throwing in the towel and the Lord keeps throwing it back at me. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but yeah, um, uh, that's part of the experience sometimes. And let me tell you another cousin of discouragement, at least for me. I don't know if you noticed this, but another cousin of discouragement is crankiness. Uh, I don't know if it's true for you, uh, but uh, that's a red light on the dashboard. When I'm getting really cranky, you know, the scripture says love is not irritable or resentful. Uh, and the word for irritable in the Greek is a literally spike, spiky. And when I'm getting discouraged, you could ask my wife, you know, I get spiky. And, uh, and it's one of the things that happens with discouragement. And so, um, you know, uh, I, I remember one time I was feeling that way and I saw this person with a T-shirt and the T-shirt said this. I've got one nerve left and you're standing on it. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but uh, yeah, uh, that's what can happen with discouragement. So why do we get discouraged? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why, but um, the one I want to talk about today is this. We begin to value the wrong things. And that's true in the Bible. You know, the, the, uh, I've been reading this year uh, about the wise person and a fool. And as I read all the things across the Bible, I've come to see that over and over again, they say this. A fool is someone who values the wrong things. In the book of Proverbs, you can see that there's knowledge and there's understanding and there's wisdom uh, and uh, they're a little bit different. And someone can have a lot of knowledge. Our culture exalts knowledge. A person can have a lot of knowledge and still be a fool if they value the wrong thing. You know, um, Jesus has the best story about this. He tells a story in Luke chapter 12 where it's about a man who probably had a lot of intelligence. He was smart. His land was going, doing well. He knew how to operate and do things. And he built in the Bible, it says, bigger, bigger barns. Uh, we don't have a lot of farms in, in Manhattan, so I assume we'd be bigger and better portfolios and better mutual funds and all those things so that he finally could say, now I've got to, I can be at ease. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And that very night, if you remember the story, God appears to him. Do you remember what he says? You fool, tonight your life is required of you. And what's gonna to happen to all these things that you planned? You were not rich toward God. And uh, let me tell you, when God calls you a fool, you are a fool. Uh, and I've thought about that a little bit, uh, uh, you know, what that means when we put the emphasis on the wrong thing uh, and, uh, and, and we can uh, value that 
and we don't see the value in what we ourselves do. And that's really a challenge. And, uh, you know, um, the word for fool that Jesus uh, uses in that, in the original text, it's the word that means, um, it's the word for not and thinking, not thinking. And that's my concern in life that we'll just say, hey, I just didn't think about it that much. Um, I remember um, it vividly. Some of you that have been in our neighborhood, in the past, it was really ruled by an illegal drug economy. And I can remember at one time, uh, it took them about a year, they did all this stuff, the, the authorities, but they finally they did a sweep and arrested uh, all the leaders of the drug economy there. And because many of the children were in our program, and I knew many of these people, I, I would visit some of them uh, in prison. It was either in Rikers or in a federal prison. And, and the several I did, uh, I'll tell you something. Not one of them said, boy, I was really smart. All of them said, what was I thinking? I ruined my family. I, I destroyed people's lives. It felt easy for the time. I didn't think about the time, but what was I thinking? Now, I don't think there's any drug dealers listening to this, and I'm not saying we are, but all of us in some ways may not think about our life and what's really important, what we should be valuing. Um, this sermon is not a sermon about the furniture of heaven or the temperature of hell, but I will say this. Hell is nothing less than the truth known too late. And that's one reason we gather as a church. We don't wanna look back at our life and know the truth too late and say, what was I thinking? So let's take a moment. We're going to look at three scriptures. And we're first going to look at a poor, a good example of valuing. And that's going to be found in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. We're just going to look at one verse. But let me just say, of course, isn't Paul an amazing person? And Paul, I'll just say before we read this, uh, Paul... Um, he doesn't self-aggrandize himself. If you'll remember, as you read, Paul, um, you know, there's three of his letters where he describes himself as a slave. He introduces the letter as the slave of Christ. And even in, in Timothy, in, 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 there's a place where he says, I'm the chief of sinners. And I always thought, man, there's Nero, there's Herod, he's the chief. But he knew himself. And, you know, Paul wrote, what, half the New Testament, but when he talks about himself, he says, I am the least of apostles. So he doesn't self-aggrandize himself. But I've just realized recently, as I read the New Testament, he doesn't inappropriately self-debase himself either. And this is a scripture that got me really thinking, because he's talking about his Hebrew brothers and sisters. And then he says this. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. I glorify, I stress my ministry. And the word for ministry there is the word for service. I magnify that. And, uh, you know, he's doing that not for himself, but he wants to draw his fellow Hebrew brothers and sisters to the Lord. He has a reason for that. And as I thought about it, I think I understand it better now. 
you know, as he talks to uh, the people in Jerusalem or Jewish people, his brothers and sisters that are Hebrew, think of the way they look at things. They probably say, Paul, you were a brilliant scholar. You could have been one of the greatest people in Jerusalem. You could have been the successor of Gamaliel. Think of all the fame and the respect and the comfort you would have had. But instead, you went to those Gentiles. And what have you been doing? Spending years on the dusty roads, shipwrecks, getting beaten. You know every jail in the Mediterranean. Uh, and even when you gather people, they just gather in these little groups that can just gather in a house. Um, it's not much of a, a, of a thing you've done. That's why Paul says, no, I value what I've done. It's important what I've done. And we need to do that too sometimes. You know, um, uh, Paul recognized that not only in himself, but he recognized it in his church too. Uh, there is a place, we won't go to it today, but there's a place where he describes the church as the body of Christ. You can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's quite a long passage. And as you read the passage, you realize he's addressing a problem. And the problem is what psychologists now call um, comparison disorder. When we look and say, how come my life isn't like them? How come they have this and I don't? Apparently that was true in the Corinthian church too. They're going, how come I don't have this? So he uses this image of a body which has many parts and they all work together. So the hand, the foot can't say, why am I not a hand? Or he says the eyes or the ears can't say, why am I not the eyes? Can you think about that? And that's what he's talking about. The ear could say, well, the eyes are always in the front. I'm always here on the side. And sometimes I'm covered by hair and it's not really fair. And he talks about each one of these things that is important and honored. He even talks about those things that are not presentable. Think about that, you know, uh, I know there's some in the medical community here in the church where, you know, if I today brought before you and I laid before you on the Zoom uh, some intestines and a colon and a kidney, you might say, oh, that's not that presentable. But think about it. Aren't you glad you have those in your body? Uh, it's so important. And Paul talks about that, that we actually honor the places that are not presentable in, in that special way. Some of you that have been at Compass Fellowship for a while know a particular person that taught me so much in life. His name was Vaughn McGlann, and he led the free lunch in the park for many years. And some of you may know, but some of you may not, that he first encountered graffiti by standing in line for a sandwich at free lunch in the park. He was living in what he called a crack house, a place where people gather for drugs, a despairing place. And he said somebody in the line was just kind to him and, and gave him a sandwich and gave him a kind word. He was impressed by how people were both firm and kind. And I don't know, maybe it was someone from Compass Fellowship, but he went back to the crack house and he felt like the Lord said to him simply this, you can do better than this. And he had a turnaround in his life. He came to graffiti. He got baptized. He became an incredible uh, teacher at our church. But I remember one thing he said, and he said it several times. 
Uh, he was in charge of our building. And this is what he told a Bible study group. He said, you may not think what I do is important until you go to the restroom and see there's no toilet paper there. And I think there's a profound theological truth there. Um, and I just want to say, when was the last time you thanked the person that provides the toilet paper where you are at church? God bless that person. And Vaughn taught me some valuable lessons about how we need to value what we do. Uh, I realized that in, during the pandemic, maybe for you and for me, we had fewer things than we normally did. But whatever God has given you, it's important to value it. It's like this. What God, what God gave you is not nothing. It's something. Maybe you have some assignment. I was fascinated even getting ready today to speak. As we prepared just for this church time, there were seven panels on the Zoom preparation. People that came and been working this morning to make sure everything went well. God bless those people. Maybe there's something you're to do. Maybe it's not noticed. Maybe people don't thank you for it, but God bless you for it. There are some things we do that no one notices unless it's done wrong. But still, those are sometimes the things that take the most courage to keep on doing, day by day, week by week. God bless you for that. Some of you may have heard the famous sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. once preached. And he talked about it in this way. He said, if you are a street sweeper, then sweep streets like, like Michelangelo painted paintings, like Beethoven composed music, like Shakespeare wrote plays. You sweep that street in such a way that all the angels in heaven rise up and say, there is a great street sweeper. Let's do that with what God has given us. He may not have given you a lot, but he's given you something. This morning, I'm not asking you to do more things. I'm asking you to value the things God has already given you to do. And like I said, it may be something as small as the Holy Spirit putting on your mind someone you know that you should call or contact today. It may be something where we can value that and thank God for that. Now, let me just say a sidebar um, about that. And that is we gather here today and we talk about and we rest in the fact, uh, it's not a theory, that there's a God. And if there is a God, logically speaking, let me just say this, it's obvious, but we get into stinking thinking sometimes. God is not that impressed with what you've accumulated in life. He's not even that impressed with your career and what you've done. And that may be hard to describe. I try to think about it this way. Uh, when I had two sons, I have two sons. When my sons were five years old and three years old, uh, if my older son said, I have three quarters and tried to make the three-year-old feel worse because he only had one quarter, he probably could do that. You know how kids are. 
he probably did make the three-year-old feel bad. But you know what? As I watched them, it didn't impress me. I gave him those three quarters. That doesn't impress me. Now, what would impress me is if my older son gave my younger son one of his quarters. Because that's a matter of the heart. And that shows he's growing in what is important in life. Now, I think you know the obvious thing I'm thinking about. Uh, the danger of property and position is it can create the illusion that we're making progress when we're not really making much progress. It's what's happening in the heart when we grow in faith, hope, and love, and charity. That's what touches God. So it doesn't matter how big or how little your influence is. It's what's happening in the heart. Those things don't matter. You may be, one earlier Christian said, maybe you just pick up a straw for the love of God. We don't have to do great things, just small things in God's love. So Paul is a good example of magnifying those things that maybe the world didn't think were that great. So let's look at a poor example. And a poor example, the obvious one, that a poor example of someone who didn't value what he had is, of course, Esau. Because those of you that know the Bible stories know that Esau was given the birthright, very important in his culture. But he chose to change, trade that for something that was tangible. The birthright he couldn't see, uh, but he traded it. One day he was very, very hungry. He came and his younger brother, uh, Jacob, and the word Jacob means overreacher or cheater. Uh, he had made some soup. And uh, so here's his brother who comes, is very hungry, and, and he says, give me some soup. And Jacob, you know, sometimes people that are pretty mean-spirited value the things of God more than people that have them and take them for granted. Have you ever noticed that? And he says, I'll give you some soup if you give me your birthright. And Esau does just like we do. We all rationalize. I'm sure it wasn't true. He said, you know, I'm going to die anyway. I'm going to die of hunger, so my birthright doesn't matter. So he says, okay, you can have my birthright. Now, probably he wasn't. You know, it takes about 30 days for a healthy person to die of starvation. But he rationalized that, and he lost his birthright. So he's the one, he's the poster child in the Bible, where they often talk about him as the one who, um, you know, traded, didn't value what God gave him. But I want to talk about someone else today, and that's the person, and I've never really preached about this particular passage, but it's a passage about Judas, and this is found in uh, Romans, excuse me, it's found in John, and it's John chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, and it says simply this, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And as many of you know, right before this, Mary and Martha, Jesus at their house, Mary brings a very expensive ointment, uh, so much that it's, it's about, this is about a year's wages. And she lavishes that on Jesus. 
and uh, and it's 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 a wonderful uh, uh, image of that generosity. But Judas, um, he doesn't see it that way. I, I don't know, you know, he doesn't know all the facts. And sometimes we'll judge other people in the church. And have you noticed? A lot of times we don't know all the facts. Um, and that's one of the important things. It doesn't mean being naive, but give people the benefit of the doubt. Jesus may know things that Judas doesn't know. And if you notice this, sometimes we'll say this in our church. Um, when love grows thin, faults grow thick. You start seeing all the problems. And here Judas has been with Jesus for several years now, and I guess they've probably slept on the road before. And, uh, you know, there's all these kind of things. And, and I think that Judas is a little bit more judgmental than he was maybe at the beginning. And he said this. Uh, he, well, let me just say this before that. He, he's, he's frustrated. And uh, I imagine maybe we'll, we'll learn in a second. He's the treasurer. So he has a certain uh, uh, responsibility. And uh, maybe he's thinking, I don't know, it doesn't say. Maybe he's thinking, you know, it's not fair. The other 11 disciples don't have to keep track of the money. They don't have to keep accounts. They don't have to ask and have people see if they brought back the change. I'm the only one who has to do that. And you'll see in the next verse an interesting psychological truth. When we feel guilty, we become more critical of others. In verse 6, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help him he used to help himself to what was put into it and you see his thinking how come i have to do all this work you know i deserve a little bit off the top of this i remember i gave james money to go buy food for everybody he didn't bring back any change uh, he's probably doing this too i'm just going to skim a little bit off the top here for myself and then Jesus sees this and he just said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And you see how he's reframed that? There's a lot more going on than Judas recognizes. And that's a very important thing. You know, we know of those of you that are Bible scholars that later on in Acts, Judas acquires some land, and it's for the Bible scholars because the priests are involved too, but he acquires some land and seems to have focused that that little plot of land, the money he got from betraying Jesus, was more important than his discipleship to Jesus. And all these things he'd done, that focus of that plot of land seemed to provide some security for him that he didn't have with what he'd been given to do. Of course, that's so sad. And some of you know that in Revelation chapter 21, John, another one of the disciples, has this vision of the city of God, the eternal city of God, 1,500 miles wide and long and high. And he just tries to utter the unutterable. He uses language trying to say how incredible it was, jewelry and gold. And on the foundation, there's 12 names, the names of the disciples. And Judas trades that for this little bit he gets right now. And let me say this. It's a truth for us too. What we do not esteem, we are in danger of losing. 
we need to esteem the right things. So we've looked at a good example and a poor example. Let's look at uh, what Jesus says about the core. What's the core of our life? And I'll just tell you, uh, some of you may not know this, but a long time ago, uh, I was a teacher at a college in Hong Kong. And uh, I taught a number of biblical studies uh, subjects, but one of the subjects I taught was psychology and Christianity. So we studied certain classic personality theories and we went over Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, but we didn't go over another person that was uh, pretty important in Vienna at the time. And his name was Alfred Adler. And what's become interesting to me is Alfred Adler did not work with the upper middle class and upper class like Carl Jung and, Carl and Sigmund Freud did. He worked with blue collar workers in Vienna. And around where he was, uh, so there was a circus. So he worked with circus workers. And he had some very practical things to say about what life is about. And one of the things is he thought about what is important. They're very common sense things. One of the things he saw was in the circus, there's, there's sideshows and there's the main tent. And he began to think about life in that way with the people he worked with. And as he saw people and understood people in life, he realized that some of the things that were sideshows were some of the things we've talked about today. Comparing yourself with others, that's a sideshow. Competition, a sideshow. Yearning after fame, that's a sideshow. Trying to get ahead of other people, it's a sideshow. Blaming others, it's a sideshow. Trying to get others approval, it's a sideshow. Perfectionism, it's a sideshow. Those aren't the main tent of life. And if you spend your life doing those things, you lose the true meaning of life. And that's true for us today as we read the scripture. It comes to us and says, what's the main tent for your life? So let's see what Jesus says is the main tent. What's the most important thing? As you know, Pastor Daniel has been preaching on a series of uh, the, uh, suff, uh, the servant songs. So let's see in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, just that one verse. And, and you know, that verse is one that um, we read earlier, the, the introduction to it, where the, of course, it's comparison. The, the two of the disciples want to be on the right and left hand of God. And then the other disciples get irritated and mad because they asked about that. And Jesus speaks to them. And in chapter four, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says this, for the son of man also came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for Jesus, that was the main tent. He came not to be served, but to serve. And of course, it's Jesus. He turns things upside down. The word for serve there, some scholars say is more, it's not a super positive word. It's more like um, be the bus, bus boy, be the waiter. And it's Jesus who turned things like last week, we celebrated washing people's feet and making that something of value and to give his own life as a ransom for many. Uh, that was something I didn't understand as a young man. I, I was in my 20s and didn't, still didn't believe in God. 
And I thought if there was a God, he was trying to get something from me. But the truth of this verse is simply this. And it changed my life. God's not trying to get something to you. I mean, excuse me. He's not trying to get something from you. He's working to get something to you. He wants to bless you in every way. It's that terrible tenderness of God. He gives his own life. And you might not think you're much right now, but you know there's a truth. One man's treasure is an, one man's trash is another man's treasure. You are God's treasure. He comes to get something to you. That's the main tent. And because this is the Sunday after Easter, as Pastor Daniel said, we remember what Jesus said to the disciples. He appeared to them after Easter. And he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. That's the main tent for us. Pastor Daniel told you something, but he didn't tell you how important he's been in this. Uh, Pastor Daniel called together. I uh, just felt like we need to pray for our association of over 200 plus churches. Just pray for them. Pray for renewal and revival. And he didn't do that just one time, but over and over, he's called us. He was the leader to call a group of people together to pray for our churches. And it's really been a life-changing thing for me. To be a part of that. And as he shared, we eventually said, well, let's just read some different Christian writers that have different thoughts. Uh, and um, so we, he mentioned a few of those. One of them he didn't mention that we read at the beginning was a person named Albert Schweitzer. We don't read about him much anymore. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1952 for his philosophy, uh, the reverence of life philosophy. We use, still use that phrase. He was a philosopher. But, you know, he's also a Bible scholar, and that's what impressed me. When he was in his 20s, he wrote one of the most significant books on the study of Jesus called The Quest of the Historical Jesus. Seminaries still study that book 100 years later, uh, and he was brilliant. He wrote books on Paul. He was in his 20s. He, he wrote a book on Bach. He was an incredible Bach musician, a Bach organist, one of the greatest he knew how to redo uh, the, the ancient uh, musical instruments, organs. He was a specialist in that. Even my brother, who's a doctor, said when he was in medical school, Albert Schweitzer categorized many of the tropical diseases. He was just a brilliant guy. And uh, at one point, he, uh, he, was, he was the principal of Strasbourg Seminary at 26 years of age. Brilliant. Brilliant guy. But he looks through a mission magazine, a conservative mission magazine. I don't agree with all he says, but I think he's interesting. He looked at a conservative mission magazine. that had a picture of some hurting people in Africa. And he felt like the master called him. And he said, I need to go to Africa. And what interests me is the pressure people put on him uh, where he was in Strasbourg. They say, you are brilliant. You'll be wasting your life going there. That's like a general going and doing a private's job. Other people can do that, not you. But he went, and he, um, when he got there, there's no electricity. He, he made a desk out of his shipping crate. He helped build a hospital there. Uh, later, he built a community for those with leprosy. Uh, he did all these things there where there's very little. And I know you know, 
who've reached out not only in New York City to Lower East Side, but to Honduras and Thailand, that mission sounds good, but actually doing it, it takes a lot. And he had some opportunities to get really discouraged. And after years and years, he was there with one of his African co-workers that had grown up there. And Albert Schweitzer put his head in his hands and he just said, oh, what a blockhead I was to come out here and try to do this. And his African coworker said something to him that became a transforming moment. His coworker said this, yes, doctor, on earth, you are a blockhead. but not in heaven. Our Lord has told us what we're to value. And he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Let's pray together. Lord, we value what you did for us and we value what you've given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.